Before I get to our Mark passage for the day, I want to look back at this uh, the piece from Samuel that Judy read. This piece in Samuel is a powerful moment of lament. It's a moment of lament from David to Saul and Jonathan, whom he has been battling. While David and Jonathan have not shied away from expressing their love for each other, David and Jonathan's father, King Saul, became sworn enemies. Their armies battled each other over who would become king. The book of Samuel became a drama of bloody conflict stretched out across many chapters. And now, in these passages that we heard, Saul has died and David has won. And yet, what does David do? He laments. He takes time and space to acknowledge that the nation has lost something precious, something irreplaceable. David still has won. There is no doubt about it. He will be king. But he does not spend time glorying in this wind, reveling in Saul's defeat. Instead, David attends to the humanity of Saul and Jonathan, to the grief of losing those who used to be mighty. Grief shared in public has power. It scrapes away and reveals what truly matters to us. The pastor and writer Eugene Peterson writes, Death exposes relationships and realities that are often obscured and hidden in the crossfire of motives and causes, agendas and projects. Lament is needed for the health of a nation. Lament keeps a people in touch with leaders and with friends, with losses and defeats, with limits and suffering, with its humanity. Lament keeps us connected with reality, with the actual, with God. That is why David not only lamented, but ordered that this lament be taught to the people of Judah. David is doing something radical here in this Samuel passage. Through his lament, David is redefining his relationship with warfare and with victory. He is having a DTR with the entire nation. A DTR, for those who don't know, is a shorthand term, probably just for my generation. It's what we call defining the relationship. It's a classic scenario where two people who've probably been romantically connected but haven't really talked about it sits down and, and asks some tough, painful questions about what this means to both of them. They say, ask questions like, who are we? And what is going on here? And what should we call each other, boyfriend, girlfriend, otherwise? What is our actual relationship? DTRs are a classic part of a new relationship. So here in the scripture, David is having a DTR. He is defining the relationship with his entire nation. He is defining his relationship with Saul and his relationship with victory. He is defining and redefining his moment of leadership into a chance to grieve and to grieve what has been lost in this victory. David takes time and space to redefine what is important and what is necessary, what matters most. 
He defines and redefines the relationship with lament and grief and warfare, and in doing so, he prepares to lead a nation. This is also what Jesus will be doing in our Mark stories from today, and it is what Jesus does throughout the scriptures. Jesus defines and redefines our relationships. He redefines his relationship to what is considered urgent by the world. He redefines his relationship with those who are considered unclean or undeserving or unimportant. So let us now listen to the reading from Mark chapter 5. Let us listen for the word of the Lord spoken here among us. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with her and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This Mark passage gives us a whole cast of characters in just 20 verses. 
Two stories are nestled into each other, which keeps us in suspense about the one, and which also makes us see Jairus and this woman in the crowd, both who are asking for healing. We can see them in comparison with each other. Jairus is one of the few non-disciples specifically named in the gospel. Clearly, he is important. The woman in the crowd remains unnamed. The last 12 years have been very different for these two. Jairus has been raising his daughter, becoming a respected member of the community. The woman in the crowd has been struggling with a chronic condition, becoming increasingly destitute and desperate. By certain Levitical laws, this woman would have been deemed unclean, and anything she touched would have been unclean due to her bleeding. This would make it hard to have a normal relationship, to participate in regular religious or daily activities. In contrast, Jairus is a leader of the religious community. If we are ranking whose healing is more urgent, which person is more important, The priority for Jesus should be clearly defined. A dying young girl, a daughter of a community member and leader, should clearly take precedence over an unknown woman with a chronic condition who has seen all the physicians possible. It seems like one of these healings is urgent and important, and the other one can be dealt with sometime later. Yet Jesus does not define interruptions or importance the same way we do. For Jesus, this unnamed woman struggling with a chronic condition is not a hopeless person to heal quickly or to hurry past with a helpless shrug. This woman is important enough to stop for. Jesus, a respected teacher, a gatherer of crowds, the one who's been approached by this community leader, this Jesus takes time to call out to this woman in the crowd. Jesus not only heals her, but uses precious moments to speak to her, to pay attention to her. This is a woman who has been defined by her condition, her desperation, her brokenness for 12 long years, and Jesus looks at her and calls her daughter, a name of acknowledgement, of intimacy, of kindness. This woman goes from being invisible and silent to talking with Jesus and being called a member of the family. Jesus pulls her back into community, back into relationship. Jesus stops the whole crowd, including the important Jairus, and Jesus publicly redefines what matters. This woman matters. Her faith matters. Jairus' daughter matters too, and Jesus will have more than enough time for her. But here... Here in this moment, here is where he needs to spend a few extra minutes. So he speaks to the woman. He heals her. He redefines her. He restores her to the community. We can see this pattern happen whenever Jesus heals in the scriptures. Jesus never walks along, shaking hands, waving, showering magical healing powers with big speeches, standing off to the side or on a pedestal. His healing acts in the Gospels are always intimate and particular. He sits down with a person. He looks at him or her. He talks to them. 
He hears them. He reaches out and touches them personally, sometimes calling them by name, always encountering them as a person to be in relationship with, always approaching them as someone who is worth spending some time on. Jesus does this when he visits Jairus' home as well. He bends down to where the child is. He takes her by the hand. He speaks directly to her, little girl. And then he commands, get up. And it works. And she gets up and she is healed and she is returned to the family. And Jesus instructs that she be given something to eat. Throughout scripture, Jesus follows this pattern with others whom he meets along the way. He does not shy away or recoil from what has been defined as distasteful or who has been defined as undeserving. Jesus takes our definitions, our designations and determinations, and he redefines them. Jesus redefines the relationships of our community. He redraws the lines of belonging and acceptance. Jesus is in the business of redefining. As David did, Jesus does not let our terms for each other calcify into conflict. He chips away at our definitions of unworthy or undeserving or loser. He confuses our expectations of who is in and who is out. Jesus does the hard work of redefining the relationship, of redefining the community, and he asks us, to join in. Not everyone is happy that he is doing this. That does become clear. Not everyone falls at his feet in faith. In fact, in the very next verses in Mark, in chapter 6, Jesus will go to teach and preach in his hometown, and the people will reject him, laughing, saying, is this not the carpenter's son? They will only be able to define him in one way, and they cannot see any other way of being in relationship with him. Nevertheless, Jesus will continue. He is in the work of redefining the relationship, and we can choose to join him or not. We can choose to follow his example, to follow the example of David, to reconsider our definitions, to return again to our lines and laws and consider our determinations of community, to consider again, who do we pay attention to? Who do we choose to care about? Who do we deem worthy of our time, our money, our attention? This week, we celebrate July 4th. And as we, as we look back over the history of the United States, we can see the work of definition and redefinition has been built into the fabric of our nation. There have been questions that we have had to ask from the very beginning. Do we want to continue to be defined as British citizens, or to redefine that relationship. And there have been other definitions and redefinitions since our Constitution was ratified 240 years ago. Would we continue to define a woman's right to vote and own property as less than a man's? Or would we redefine that relationship? Would we continue to define a black man as three-fifths of a person, or would we redefine that relationship? Would we continue to allow discrimination based on religion to keep out people like Jews or Catholics and now Muslims? Or will we redefine that relationship? 
Over and over again as a nation, we've had to do this hard work of redefinition. We've defined and redefined what it means to be a citizen, what it means to participate in democracy, what it means to have a reasonable quality of life in the United States of America. We've redefined our relationship with each other. We've redefined our understanding of community. And so, friends, I have to confess that I am struggling right now. I'm struggling with how to celebrate July 4th when my president defines refugees as animals and neo-Nazis as very fine people. When entire countries and my entire gender can be described with expletives without any consequences. I'm struggling with how to celebrate my nation when, in my name, with taxpayer money, families are being separated at the border or split up in their homes, where children are being held without physical contact from anyone who loves them, when courts codify religious discrimination by upholding what my national leaders have called a Muslim ban. I'm struggling with what it means to be a proud U.S. citizen when the world watches what we're saying or doing in horror. I have needed to sit with both these lectionary texts extra long this week. These are the texts suggested to preachers years ago for this Sunday. I've needed to sit with these texts extra long to see how David defines and redefines his relationship with his nation and with his enemies. How Jesus defines and redefines the identity of those considered outside the bounds of righteous community. I acknowledge that for myself, I need to do this hard work of redefinition to figure out what I want being done in my name as a U.S. citizen and how to push back against definitions that I do not want. This is not the first time we have been faced with tough questions and challenges as a nation. It will not be the last. But this is a particular season when it's important to ask ourselves, in what ways do I need to be redefined? How is Christ redefining me? How is God redefining us? And how am I working to redefine my life, my neighborhood, my nation? As we ask these hard questions, perhaps we can find strength in the words of Scripture. When we spend time with Jesus, when we watch where he walks and listens to what he says and see whom he reaches out to touch, perhaps we can ask ourselves honestly and faithfully, how is Christ forcing us to have a DTR? How is Christ forcing us to define and redefine our relationship with each other, with God, with our community? And this week of July 4th, Perhaps we should ask, how is Jesus calling us into a DTR with our nation? What do we need to celebrate? And what do we need to lament? In what ways do we need to follow Christ's example and offer healing? And in what ways do we need to step forward and admit that we are the destitute ones who desperately need the healing for ourselves? When we ask these tough questions, 
when we engage in this hard work of redefinition, we discover again the gift of the gospel. There is no faking it in God. There is no hiding in Christ. God knows that we need healing, whether we admit it or not. Christ knows that we are broken and bleeding, dying a bit inside. Christ knows that we as individuals and as a community and as a nation have wounds that will not heal on their own. All of this is known, even when we just want to keep this messy stuff, all this need and pain and grief and brokenness tucked away, hidden and invisible. But then Christ is the one who calls us out, the one who calls us out of the crowd and gives us a new identity. Christ is the one who pauses, takes time, acknowledges our pain, acknowledges our brokenness, and reaches out and transforms all we thought we knew about ourselves from the inside out. In Christ, we are a people who are brought into a new understanding of life, who are brought into a new understanding of community. In Christ, we are brought to a table where a feast is laid out for us, where we are nourished and fed and healed and renewed together. And then we are sent back out to share this new understanding of healing and community with the world. Christ redefines our relationship with each other, with our neighbor, with our country. We cannot hide in a crowd. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We cannot stay at home pretending that everything is fine. In Christ, we cannot remain comfortable in our old ways of defining things. Now is the time to figure out how we want to be known going forward as followers of Christ alive in the world and in our country today. This work of defining and redefining is hard, but the good news is that we do not do it alone. We offer all of this up to God. Let us pray. God, you have gathered us for a little while to sing, to pray, to read, to share the feast of your Lord's Supper. And so we gather in all that you give us, and we prepare to go forth as your disciples, defining and redefining who we are in your love, in your mercy, in your grace and power. In your holy name we pray. Amen.